This is episode 28 of the Vinyl Detroit podcast. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Vinyl Detroit Podcast. I had the wonderful, wonderful opportunity to speak to Mel from the Hermit Crabs. We spoke about her band's 2007 release, Saw You Dancing. Uh, originally it came out on Matinee Records, uh, CD only, I imagine then digital, but Sergio at Daydream Records got a hold of it and really did a wonderful, wonderful job reissuing this. Uh, my copy is Splatter Vinyl. Uh, the sleeve is excellent. The sound quality is really top-notch. And um, hats off to Sergio and the team over there. So rather than me keep talking, I'm going to stop. And we're going to get into my conversation with Mel from the Hermit Crabs, where we talk about her band's 2007 release, Saw You Dancing. joining me on this episode of the Vial Detroit podcast. I am super excited today to have a very, very special guest uh, joining me from uh, Scotland. It's actually morning here. I believe it's afternoon there. And uh, I am, again, honored and privileged to speak to Mel McGinney of the Hermit Crabs. Hey, Mel. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You as, I'm, I'm assuming you are as well, getting ready for the, the holiday season here. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but for those of you listening, we're recording this just before Christmas. 
Uh, I'm staring at my Christmas tree, and uh, it's cold. I'm assuming it's cold there as well. It is cold. Uh, I am also staring at my Christmas tree that I put up yesterday. Um, so, yeah. Just in time. Yeah. Just in time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I normally have to be prompted a little bit, um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's up, so... Nice, nice. Yeah, it, it's not it's not the biggest of trees, but um, yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah, ours isn't real big either. I had we have a it's I think the roof the, the the ceiling where I'm at, which is downstairs in our house, is I think seven feet tall because I can touch the ceiling. So I, at one point we bought this really tiny tree so that we could put something on top like a tree topper. And my wife would come downstairs and go, that tree is just sad. Can we get a bigger tree? And I said, sure, but I can't make the ceiling any bigger. So you're probably going to lose the uh, the star on top. And so we don't have anything oh. on top, and it goes right to the ceiling. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a big Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, again, thank you for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. We're, we're going to obviously speak uh, a little bit about the band. We're going to talk about... Uh, the the upcoming reissue, which I believe I'm hoping will will land in 2023, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about, and um, just get to know you. So, um, kind of relax, be comfortable, and um, I guess my my first question is, I like to kind of start out in the beginning and kind of understand uh, the the origins of the band, how the band got started, how you met. Would you mind sharing some of that with me? No, I don't mind at all. Yes, um. So the band started in 2003. Um, I shared a flat with Isabel, and Isabel and myself were in another indie pop band called California Snow Story. Mm -hmm. um, I played the drums. Isabel played many different instruments in that band. Um, and that band was kind of put on hold for a while because the singer became unwell. Mm. Um, so myself and Isabel shared a flat and we just kind of would sit around the flat and play guitar. And um, I mean, I was learning to play guitar at that point. Um, and we would play like California Snow Story songs. Um, and then we began kind of writing some songs. Um, so that was the start of the band, and then I moved out of that flat, and Anne moved in, and Anne played classical guitar, mm. um, and she's a brilliant classical guitarist, and sort of the three of us kind of, yeah, committed to, to, to being the Hermit Crab, um, and we got Lee, Lee Thompson from Camelot together, we got him on, him involved to play drums with us so that was kind of the start of the band and and, and where did the name come from uh you know i it was funny because it's been a little tricky to search it in, on the internet days here because obviously you get a lot of uh articles about hermit crabs <laughs> um but yes i know yeah. yeah and the other thing too with that was <laughs> it seemed like uh there there had to have been like a band in the 60s named the hermit crabs so how did you guys come come to 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 become the hermit crabs well myself and isabel and Anne, we had uh, a chat about band names and i can't really remember a lot of the suggestions but <clears throat> at one point i said the hermit crabs 
And Anne and Isabel both kind of really liked that. They were like, oh, amazing. Yes, brilliant. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah. Um, so we decided on the hermit crab. It was only after the fact that I didn't realize that Anne and Isabel didn't realize that hermit crabs were an actual thing that existed. <laughs> like they thought that I just kind of made it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it kind of stuck uh, at that point in time. So, yeah, we, we went with it. Well, I love it. I think I think it's it's very appropriate, uh, and and I think it's a really neat name, honestly. So I think you guys did really well, and you know, in a lot of these discussions, we've we've talked about the origins of band names, and they're all different. I mean, some are very calculated. Some uh, one one individual I talked to picked their name based on where they would end up in a record store. So, you know, if they picked a U, a, a, a you know, band name that starts with a U, they wanted to be near. Uh, you know, ultra vivid scene and ultra vox. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. That's a lot of planning involved in that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like I like how when it comes up organically. Uh, so you know, you mentioned that that you and um, the other the other folks really kind of got started, you know, in that flat, and then you moved on. Uh, obviously, Glasgow's got a a rich music history. Um, particularly, you know, the 80s, uh, early 90s, and, and, and that. Uh, could you share some, maybe some of the influences for starting the band? Yeah, well, I, I guess, um, yeah, at that time, there was quite a lot of good stuff happening in the kind of Glasgow indie pop music scene, um, you know, with like Camera Obscura, Bell and Sebastian, mm-hmm. etc., as, as well as many other good bands. Um so, yeah, it was it was my first foray into the indie scene because the first bands I'd ever been in were, were like the punk hardcore bands. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was my first foray into the indie music scene. And, um, yeah, I guess what was going on around us probably influenced us. Um, but then we all had our own kind of musical interests that were quite diverse and quite different. Um I think I remember Isabel being like a huge Beach Boys fan at the time. She still is, but um, I remember that that was that was like the number one band for her. And uh, I remember Anne was very into Marilyn Manson. Mm. <laughs> that was her thing. <laughs> um, and then I guess uh, I guess I was I had started to get into kind of indie sort of music. Um, from from being in Glasgow, and I, I suppose I was getting less punk, listening to less punk hardcore stuff and and, and more indie stuff. Although looking back, actually, I probably always listened to indie stuff. Um, so yeah, so I guess like diverse influences, but um, the ones Why? that really were around us, or, you know, the other bands that were doing stuff. Yeah, and why do you? And I guess why do you think that that transition took place at that point in your life? So, you know, this is 03, and uh, I, you know, obviously, I don't know how old you are. I don't know, uh, you know, much about your personal life. But what is it you think that that started to draw you more to that, and maybe less on, from the punk scene? I think. Um... So I, I was in a relationship with Lee Thompson from Camera Obscura. Um, I 
kind of I met him through the punk hardcore scene um, when I lived in Aberdeen, which is kind of further north of Glasgow. Um, and then me and him were in a band, like a post-punk kind of emo sort of band. Um, and then I moved to Glasgow and he was very much involved with Camera Obscura. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it was just like a, a social setting that I was in had changed. And I suppose when I was in punk hardcore bands, I was normally... I was either playing the drums or I was like shouting and screaming. Um, <laughs> and when I started to learn to play guitar, I started kind of writing a lot more. Um, and I guess writing things that could, could be, be sung properly <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than shouted or screamed. So, yeah, that was how that came about. And, and, and I guess I learned guitar through listening to like other indie bands. Um, and trying to like copy some of their songs and then once I'd learned like a couple of songs I'd be like oh this is quite good um, and that kind of spurred me on to write my own stuff and, and also learn other songs so, that yeah make, that makes sense I, I mean yeah really it, it I guess it really was an evolution and you know once you and it's I think the connection to me I mean aside from the camera obscura connection of course but the fact that you know studying that indie pop indie type music and and getting to really i guess quote unquote master it you start to understand maybe song structure a little differently and and so then it it kind of opened up you know that creative side of you so that makes sense and you know it seems like at least for me uh you know everybody's different of course but it seems like the the bands and the musicians that that i've come to really really like have have gone through that evolution and you know they they started out kind of doing one thing and and then they did and maybe that was something that frankly for my taste wasn't really there and then once they took something else up some of that influence came across to maybe like an indie pop album that they did and it just it's better than just somebody who's maybe been doing indie pop all along or indie rock or whatever you want to call it. So it brought those influences in, it sounds like. I love, I love that story. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have kind of, you know, I guess it's good to have diverse kind of influences and stuff. Um, and like you say, that kind of that kind of diversity can come out and, you know, whether it be, a new album or or getting a new person in the band so yeah i think that always helps to have people who like lots of different styles of music or, or kind of play different instruments or play instruments in different ways things like that yeah i totally understand that uh so you know i i was looking over the discography and you know obviously you guys and yourself have had a had a fairly long relationship with matinee records who's just done you know all kinds of um of, of excellent uh, records over the years and obviously a very long run uh, how did you connect get connected with matinee so we actually connect i actually sent a cd to matinee um after we'd recorded four songs um including field Factor. Mm-hmm. um but i didn't hear anything back from them um and then Francis McDonald from Teenage Fan Club, he heard Feel Good Factor and he really liked it. Um, and he liked the other songs we recorded. And he gave us um, Jimmy Tassoff's 
his name, you know, um, Jimmy, who runs Matinee. Mm-hmm. Um, so he persuaded us to kind of resend our CD, but, you know, put Jimmy's name for it to be addressed to Jimmy. Um, yeah, and, and we did that. And Jimmy, um, yeah, was interested and, and offered us the deal. So, yeah, yeah. that was nice and quick. It's one of those things where, you know, the, the obviously the, the music was, was good and it helps sometimes to know people, <laughs> you know? Very much, yeah. Um, and I was thinking about this today, actually, because um, it was Kenny McKee from Camera Obscura. He actually gave me Francis McDonald's contact details um, because Francis had a small record label at this time. Um, I think it was called Shoeshine Records. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, you know, maybe you should get in touch with him. Um, yeah, and we did. And then, yeah, he gave us the contact for Matinee. So, yeah, it is who you know, isn't it? it really yes. Is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, I, I forgot when we started to introduce the song that we heard at the beginning. I guess I got a little carried away here, but... Um, we're talking about uh, the album Saw You Dancing. We're going to probably talk about some of the other um, pieces throughout. But again, I'm here with uh, Mel from The Hermit Crabs, and we're talking uh, about kind of the origins of the band right now. And uh, I wanted to take a little break here, and I wanted to hear another track from the album, which, uh, again, I love. Uh, and, and, and the reason for this conversation is, for those of you who may not know, uh, the album is going to be seeing a, a reissue from uh, uh, California-based Daydream Records here in the U.S. And uh, it got me kind of thinking when I saw that, that I really needed to speak to Mel about the album. And um, I'm super excited about it. So uh, with that, I'd like to take a listen to another song, Goodbye My Friend, from the album by the Hermit Crabs called Saw You Dancing. Goodbye my friend, our journey's come to an end I wish it could have been longer, but then I'm no stronger With those three words I never ever heard You could break a good thing, break a good thing Thank you. 
you know, your music has been compared a lot to, uh, you know, fellow Glasgowians or Glasgowians, I think. Is is it Glasgowians? Glaswegians. Oh, my goodness. Okay. To <laughs> fellow acts from Glasgow, uh, Bella Sebastian, Camera <laughs> Obscura. I mean, I think the connections are, are are pretty easy to see. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll talk to folks and I'll hear the connections and I just, I really don't see them, but uh, I, I definitely do here. And so I had this thought and, um, you know, you have to follow me on this question because I thought about it quite a bit before I put it down on paper, uh, with, with, with comparisons, you know, sometimes it's, e it's just easy to compare. It's easy to compare based on, you know, where the bands are from. There's a connection there. Maybe there's a connection with somebody who played in multiple bands. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of like ways to compare or to draw connections between bands. So I guess I was wondering if, uh, you know, Glasgow, the city, the scene, um, I guess, how can I, how can I put this? I'm just going to read it the way I wrote it. I think that's the best thing. Did Glasgow influence maybe Camera Obscura and Bell and Sebastian who maybe influenced your work? Or is it really just simple to connect your sound to them? Does that make sense? Wow. What a question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess, um, I guess like, camera obscura Bell and Sebastian you know they were they were in the social circles or the the scene that I was in at the time um I knew Lee who, who played drums in camera obscura so um yeah and I can see the I can see the link um between camera obscura and the hermit crab you know we have a similar lineup mm -hmm. um a female singer songwriter plays rhythm guitar and um, so I can see that um well it's hard to know um I guess uh but I mean Glasgow definitely influenced me as well um and perhaps those bands I guess the kind of confessional kind of semi-autobiographical nature of their kind of lyrics perhaps influenced me mm -hmm. um but it, it you just don't know do you uh, a bit of everything probably influenced me yeah so i know it's a, um, and i know it's a hard question and but you know it just it keeps coming up so you know like in detroit here i, I don't know how familiar you are with detroit music I'm, I'm sure like the motown era i mean that's obviously very been very influential on a lot of the folks that i speak to uh, but I, I always like to draw the comparison to uh, the quote unquote garage scene. And so what was happening mm. was like, you know, when when the white stripes were coming up and and a lot of the acts like that, they all got connected. And what I was finding was that sure, a lot of them shared those same influences or shared some of the same sound. But some of them, I think, were being grouped together, maybe just because they were from Detroit and so I would listen to it and I'd say that they, yeah. they don't sound anything like the White Stripes. Why are they being compared to, you know, garage rock? They're they're not garage rock. It's just good music. So I just kind of wondered if, you know, if you had any insight on that. And I, I know it's a tricky question. <laughs> well, it's funny because I've always thought that the comparison between Camera Obscura and Bell and Sebastian, I personally have always thought that that was a bit of a, a lazy comparison. Yep. I agree. Um, like I felt like 
if one of those bands is from England, I don't think the comparison would be there. Um, I think their sounds are quite different as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. That, I agree that's with that. My, my viewpoint. And and that's and yeah. that's that's really the essence of the question because, you know, was it was it the fact that you you were all from the same area that made the connection or was it the sound? And I think I think you're right because, Bell and Sebastian and Camera Obscura, I totally agree. I don't I don't think like to me without you in the conversation, I would have connected those two. Yeah, I think. Yeah. No, I wouldn't either. Mm -hmm. And and I love both. <laughs> I think they just happen to be in the same city at the same time. Um, and I think that's where the comparison comes from. Yeah, I totally um, agree. I've had quite a few interesting conversations about this, though, <laughs> with other people. <laughs> so, yeah. Good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, great answer. Tough question. I think you did great. <laughs> um, uh, you <laughs> Thanks. Know, for for those listening who maybe have an interest in uh, the hermit crabs, but maybe hadn't hadn't gone down the rabbit hole at all, uh, like some of us have, um, maybe don't realize that a lot of it has revolved around you, you over the years. Obviously, you guys started out as a certain lineup, and then that's really evolved over time since that first EP. Uh, I guess one question I'd like to know is maybe if you could share a little bit about that evolution. So you know, I've played in bands. I, I played in a band called Shoestrings with my friend Mario. And we went through some of that ourselves. And every time that you would add or somebody would leave, there was this like just shift that would take place. And I was wondering about, I want to kind of get your input on that as, as the band lineup would change and evolve. Uh, how, how did it affect the sound? What was the evolution? Well, um, it's funny because I really had to do my research on this question. <laughs> I actually, I looked at the sleeve notes for uh, Saw You Dancing. I'm like, who played on what song and <laughs> when was that? Um, and I've, I've actually drawn a diagram. <laughs> <laughs> you did your homework. Trying to like, figure out like who, who was in the band at what time and what instrument they played. Um, and... Yeah, well, there's been many changes, haven't there, really? Um, and it, it's quite funny because looking at, you know, why certain people were in the band and, and then they weren't, it, it's interesting because the most common thing that happened was that they moved to England. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the common denominator. Um, and then I think the funniest point that I have is one of the drummers, I just kind of put, MIA for missing in action um <laughs> like he was just a bit chaotic and um a bit of a party animal and just you know ghosted us I suppose mm -hmm. um but yeah how did it change the sound well <laughs> um in lots of different ways um you know we've had we've had lots of different violinists over the years and um I think sometimes the violin parts are very heartfelt. Um, sometimes they're sort of technically correct, but mm -hmm. to me, there's a lack of feeling in them. Mm -hmm. um, and then, 
I guess it's not for me to say. <laughs> it's the same as I get. I guess that's for other people to say. Um, yeah. But you would hope that it the the sound would. Or for me, I would hope that the sound became a bit more polished or kind of um, professional sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, that's maybe not necessarily been the case, but um, yeah, it is amazing how how one person can can change things. I think. Like I think adding Fergie on lead guitar, I think that was a boost to the band. Um, you know, he's a really good guitarist. Um, I really like the parts that he wrote. Um, so that was that was kind of a boost. Um, so, and then looking looking back, I think Isabel's bass playing right at the start that was just just brilliant for the type of music it was and. And I actually asked most of the the other bass players that we got. I you know I would tell them to play Isabel's bass part. <laughs> <laughs> I would dictate to them what bass part to play. Um, so yeah, it's quite funny. I mean, I've got a sheet a sheet of paper in front of me with lots of names uh, on it and boxes and arrows and things. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wish I wish this was a uh, chaotic. Yeah, I wish this was a visual. Uh show because i would love to i would love to share that with everybody <laughs> yeah yeah well it's funny I, I took a photograph of it and i shared it with my band currently um isabel and scott who used to be in the hermit crab um they they thought this was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> i think it's hilarious so, too <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's funny you know we when i Maybe when i'll I... put it in a christmas card yeah yeah how great would that be people would be like what the heck is this <laughs> it's the history of the hermit crabs <laughs> enjoy happy happy christmas <laughs> and, and i went through and that one venn diagram yeah right <laughs> that's what i was thinking venn diagram <laughs> uh you know and i went through that too so with our band uh you know i i played drums and uh at one point just because of life and things like that i didn't move to england um, but what happened was I, 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 you know, I was getting serious about, you know, getting married and whatever my, my, my goals were changing. And so, yeah. uh, they, you know, they added a different drummer. And so, I mean, they're my best friends, so I don't know how this came, but I think I went over one, one day to just see them rehearse or whatever. And I don't think they could have found anybody more different than me. So you know, mine was, oh. I played drums with them and I played bass at times live. And so my, my drumming was fine. It was, I mean, I had no lessons and it was more about just making music with my friends. Well, they got a guy who was like really technical and I think it made their sound so much more, um, cohesive. It, they were better, I think, without me in terms of the drumming, um, but it was vastly different. <laughs> it was like, it would be like taking, wow. you know, your you as a drummer or your drummer and taking them out and adding like uh, maybe one of your old punk drummers in. It was just a very different vibe. Like Travis Barker or something. <laughs> right. It was totally different. So yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, so, you know, I, kind of talking back to the connections with Camera Obscura, um, obviously we mentioned Francis from Teenage Fan Club, who I am a huge Teenage Fan Club fan back from the day. Um, you know, I saw that there were, I read somewhere in, in my research that um, obviously those folks were on the album. You mentioned a little bit about the Camera Obscura connection earlier. But maybe could you share some specifics as to maybe who contributed from your Venn diagram on this album, maybe from the Teenage Fan Club, 
uh, uh, group and then obviously from Camera Obscura? Um, so from Camera Obscura, Lee played drums on some of the songs, mm -hmm. um, notably Feel Good Factor. Uh, mm. he, he played drums on like our, our first few songs that we recorded. Um, so that was Feel Good Factor, plus three other songs that actually aren't on the album, uh, interestingly. Really? So, yeah, so he played, he played drums with us first. Nice. Um and then Francis got involved through the you know, Kenny McKeith had given me his contact details. Um and he actually produced some of the songs on the album. So most of the songs on the album we recorded at Split Level Studios in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. Um and and they're now called Sound Sound Studios in Edinburgh. Um, and they were recorded with a guy called Neil McNaught, who was amazing. I absolutely loved working with him. And then Francis persuaded us to record, uh, I think it's three or four of the songs at a studio in Glasgow. Um, and he sort of produced those songs that we recorded there. Um, and I think he played bass on one of the songs. I think he played bass on Goodbye, My Friend. Mm. Uh, yes, he did. I'm just looking at the sleeve notes to check. <laughs> um, yeah, so he played bass. And um, I guess he kind of, yeah, he was yeah. Kind of producing and helping us, you know, in the recording process. What's, so, what's, what's interesting yeah. about that is, you know, we're back to comparisons again. And when I'm thinking about Teenage Fan Club, uh, you know, I don't, I don't hear, I almost, I don't hear anything in, in Saw You Dancing, at least not that's coming to mind right now. Um, but he must have had some influence on the sound, uh, during that recording process. You know, I think he, he just made sure that, that things were done properly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that we were, the parts we needed to to redo that we redid um and he did have some suggestions about maybe you know layering up some parts mm -hmm. um and also maybe to do with percussion um so yeah no i yeah i i'd agree i don't think there's any kind of teenage fan club sounding mm -mm. songs on there or, or yeah Sounds like it sounds like you gained yeah. from his experience. I mean, obviously they've you know they've recorded so much material and you know they probably made all the mistakes and um, particularly when you know going from your an early days of a band playing live, uh, you know rehearsing a lot, you kind of think okay this is our sound and then when you go in the studio and you go to record that, you find that you know in, in most cases at least from my experience it's missing something and it's missing the things that Francis brought the layering, the additional percussion, maybe the, the little wisps of piano or whatever it is. That's, that's the stuff that, that, you know, someone who's done it before I think brings to the table. And it sounds like he did that for you guys. Yeah. I guess it's like a sprinkling of fairy dust or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. Not to say, you know, I, th I think we all, we ourselves did have some good ideas about all that stuff. Um, but yeah, he, I suppose he had authority as well in the studio. He had, he, 
he had that you know that confidence and authority um so yeah that's that's one of the things that he brought to it I'm not sure, you know, I don't have the liner notes here or anything, um, because frankly, I don't own it physically. I, I will once the Daydream release comes out. But um, the, the album is very well recorded, though. And and I mean, that was something that, you know, particularly and you're a fan, I'm sure, of, of 90s independent or, or at least you've come to know it. And it was very hit or miss as far as the quality, the lo-fi was yeah. was really embraced. Yeah. And and nothing that I found in your music really ever touched that, at least from what I've heard. And um, I think that's a testament to say that, you know, we, we want it to sound good. We want it to, to be done right. At least that's what it sounds like to me as a fan. Yeah, and I, I think Neil McNaught at Split Level Studios, I think I owe a lot to him because... Um, so he'd recorded like a, a punk hardcore band that I really liked. And when I heard their recording, I was kind of blown away with how professional, how um, how, how much quality there was mm-hmm. in the recording. Um, and that's why I asked, um, well, that's why I started working with him. Um, and, and and like from from the first EP that he recorded, you know that that was the one that we sent to Matinee, and that that was the one that got us a record deal. So I do owe a lot to him. Um, and I think the other songs that we recorded at the studio in Glasgow, I think perhaps they the quality wasn't as great as the split level songs. Mm-hmm. However, I did get everything re- remixed. Um, mastered by Neil just to make sure that there was a consistent kind of polished sound and yeah that's something that I I really wanted from the start Um, I think from being you know doing recordings like punk hardcore recordings you know and some of them are quite lo-fi you know Mm -hmm. I I think I was I was yearning for a more (laughs) hi-fi experience (laughs) well it comes through you got there and and it, what's interesting as you were telling that story, I was sitting here thinking just about how many musicians, uh, you know, particularly when they're starting out, you know, they just want, they want to get their music heard. They want to get it recorded. They want to get it released. They want people to hear it. And they might, they might, you know, they'll do the best they can as far as the recording process, the mixing. Uh, but then usually after that, they don't think about the rest of it. They don't think about how important mastering is. And I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big audio guy. So I appreciate the music and the quality. And when, when done right, uh, you know, that, that, that mastering particularly, uh, can bring out, I think the magic, it, 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 it removes the dullness. Um, I think it, it really, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling here, but I, I guess I appreciate the fact that that you at, at some point during this journey understood the importance of that and wanted the polish to be there. And I think that's really cool, frankly. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know if it, it if it's because, you know, I, I was in bad for, for the recording didn't sound that great. Um, I just, I just knew as soon as I heard, the quality in in that other band that he recorded, I just knew that that was something that I wanted. Um, and and working with him as well was um, just brilliant. Like he, he really 
um, he sort of pushes you, but he, he pushes you in a nice kind of way. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it was great. And I actually asked him to, um, was it remix? Uh, I think I asked him to master or remix something recently. And he's actually retired. Oh, no. <laughs> now what? Um, yeah, so I checked in there and he's like, I've, I've retired. Um, Can you do one like, more project? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but he said, you know, um, I mean, he he had uh, someone who trained up who runs his studio now. So he recommended him. Um, but I think in the end, we ended up staying in Glasgow. But um, yeah. Yeah, he he was very good and, and a key a key linchpin in this whole process. Actually. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That sounds it all sounds great to me. I, I'm being completely honest here too. So, um, well done. We're gonna take another break here okay. and. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to take another break here and listen to another track from the album Saw You Dancing by the Hermit Crabs. Uh, again, we're here talking because mainly uh, the album will be seeing a, a vinyl reissue, I believe, in 2023 uh, by Daydream Records here in the U.S. Uh, so with that, why don't we go ahead and give another one of the tracks that, frankly, I love from the album I've been listening to endlessly here, and it's called Closet Fan. Saw you dancing to ever fallen in love with something you shouldn't have And later on I caught a glimpse of you giving out an autograph Oh, we were born within hours of each other All we share is the same high color Say that we're so similar 
Okay, we just heard Closet Fan by the Hermit Crabs from the album Saw You Dancing, which we're talking today with Mel. Uh, really kind of the, I would say, one of the constants throughout the uh, the band's uh, time. And um, again, like I mentioned before this break, uh, we're really kind of focusing in on uh, on the album. You know, we're talking a lot about the recording. We're going to talk about the reissue coming up here soon. So it's 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 been a really great conversation. Um you know, I, I mentioned to you in some of the some of the pre back and forth that I do quite a bit of research and um, it was a little tricky with you guys um, because I had to really dig. In fact, at one point, you'll probably remember I wrote you. I said, where's the best source of information for you guys? And and you directed yeah. me to the right. But that was it. You, you directed me to the perfect spot. I got what I needed. And while I was going through that, and I was looking at the discography. I came across this fact that I had no idea about that you actually recorded uh, the album in my flat uh, in the U.S. and and in of all places Boise, Idaho. And for those of you who aren't from the U.S. Um, or don't have any much knowledge of Idaho, uh, it's it's considered the potato capital of at least the U.S. <laughs> and maybe the world. Uh, so I I think outside of that, it's not a super exciting place. But I mean, it's a it's a it's a relatively large city, but not somewhere where I would think someone from Glasgow would go to record an album. But I saw that you did that with uh, the guys from The Very Most. I just wanted to know a little bit about how that experience was and how that came about. Yeah, so Jeremy from The Very Most, he messaged me on, I think it was on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Of MySpace? course. Your top eight, right? Wasn't that what it was? Your your top eight or something <laughs> yeah um he sent me a message just saying that he liked the hermit crab's music um and then i listened to the very most and i liked a lot of their music mm-hmm. um so we messaged back and forth with each other and then he i think he asked me to to sing on a very most song um, I think that was the first thing I did with him. I can't quite remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that, and then we formed a band, uh, just the two of us, and it was called Baffin Island. Mm. Um, we recorded like I don't know four or five songs and did a a wee CD release. Um. So he would send me like the files, just like the, the sort of backing track, the drums, bass, guitar on, and I would kind of come up with the vocal melody and the lyrics for the songs. Um, yeah, so we, yeah, so I guess we just hit, hit it off and, and we did a few musical projects. And then at one point he, he said that he has, cause he has a small studio in his backyard um, and he said, if you ever want to record, um, you can come to Boise um, and you can record here. Um, so I thought, OK, I'm going to do that. And yeah, um, I went over. Um, God, I can't remember what year it was, um, but I basically recorded the In My Flat mini album when I was over there. So, How was your experience yeah. here? How was it in the U.S. for that short time? It was great. I loved Boise. I really loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I stayed with Jeremy and his family, and they were they were just great. They were so hospitable and, and taking me around places, showing me stuff. Um, 
yeah, no, it was, it was brilliant. I would love to go back, actually. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was good. You should come back. Uh, and we got, we got everything done really quickly as well. I think we... I think I was over there in total for 12 days, but we actually recorded the whole thing in about seven days. Wow. Um, seven days straight. Um, so, yeah, it was amazing. It was really good. And for those of you who have never recorded an album, uh, who may be listening to this as a, just a casual fan, seven days, I mean, I think I think we would consider that a mini LP probably, I would say. Yeah. Um, that's, that's fast. I mean, that's to record and mix, or I assumed you guys mixed, or maybe he finished up after you left, but you know, in seven to 12 days, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty fast. And, um, I love it. I love that you came over and you took that kind of leap of faith and said, I'm, I'm going to come there and stay with your family and we're going to do, I love that whole story. That's why when I read it, I said, can this be real? And so I actually found another source <laughs> that mentioned it. So I said, okay, that's real. Um, but I love it. Um, I'd like, to yeah. Switch, yeah, I'd like to switch gears a little bit, though, um, you know, kind of talk a little bit about the visuals of the album, because, uh, you know, I I love I, I just love the cover so much. It's you know, there's something about images that because uh, I'm an appreciator of 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 art and, and particularly art and music. And I think it it has to capture, uh, you know, the essence of what the artist is trying to do, the, the musician artist. And the album, for those of you who maybe haven't seen it, uh, it's it's it looks like a photograph. I don't know the era, but I'd love to know more here in a second of um, of a man and a woman dancing. But it's what I love about it is it's got this like the way it was shot. It almost has this like it looks like it's in motion, and it's not like a like a still photo of two people standing you know in embrace dancing. But yet it looks like there's this movement, and and so I'd like to kind of know a little bit more about maybe the concept behind that, and then secondarily i'd just like to find a little bit more about the kind of what the origin of of picking the the title saw you dancing where that came from yeah so the concept for the artwork um so i i sort of talked back and forth with jimmy at matinee um and i was saying that it's about you know watching someone who's dancing and being quite enthralled by them. Uh, and he said, okay. Uh, and we both researched a few images. Um, and then he came up with that one. I think it's like a stock image. I think like you, you purchase it or mm -hmm. you, you purchase the rights to use it. Um, I've actually seen it on greetings, greetings cards in the UK. <laughs> Um, I saw it on a Valentine's card um, <laughs> once, which was kind of quite cute. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it was one of the ones Jimmy showed me. Um, and I think matinee has a certain aesthetic as well with regard mm -hmm. to artwork, and it kind of fitted in with that. Um, so we went with that image. Um, and with regards to the title, so... Saw You Dancing is the first lyric uh, or the first line of the Closet Fan song, mm -hmm. which we've just heard, mm -hmm. I believe. We did. Um, yeah, so that, um, when we were recording that song, um, it just turned into a really beautiful kind of thing. Um, like, it, it became a lot bigger than I thought it would ever become as a song. Um, 
like when I wrote the song, it was very much a bit of a throwaway song, a bit of an album track. But when we recorded it, it just really came to life and it has this slightly country kind of feel to it. Um, so, yeah, so we went with the first line of that song as being the name of the album. Um, when we suggested it, everyone seemed happy. There's definitely a, uh, a romanticism, I think, about the album and, and you know, which I I think you were kind of articulating there. And, and the fact that, that I think that that line and that image, which then cre- became the album title, I think captures it well. So uh, I think you guys hit it on the head with that one. I'm, I'm, I love I love the stories of album artwork because, again, it's kind of like mastering. I mean, y- you know it's important. You don't maybe understand maybe going into it uh, what, what you want. Sometimes you do. I mean, sometimes you know, hey, we want this, we want this image for our cover of our first album or whatever the, the story is. Um, like the example I'll use that that I thought kind of blew me away was, are you familiar with Rocket Ship from the '90s? Oh, slightly, yeah. Yeah. So they they did an album, a certain smile, a certain sadness, and and it for me when I was kind of coming up in the mid '90s, that was like the album, and they were like this enigma from California, and you know you you, you didn't see them much here in the Midwest because they were from there, there was no internet, and then they dropped that album. And the image is like a man and a woman in embrace, and it looks like a painting, but the painting looks like it was done, you know, in the maybe in the 70s. And I'm like, this captures the sound so well. So when I spoke to him about it, I said, you know, where'd the album cover come from? And he said he was just, I think he was just, I don't know where he found it, like, but it was actually a, uh, a, a collection of, I think, like, oh, I may have the story wrong now. It was like a record, like a, a, a multi-disc set that maybe like Reader's Digest put out in the 70s. And he came across it and he's like, that's the image. And it sounds like yours was very similar. You know, your, your bandmate was looking through them, looking through images, came across that. And now you see it on greeting cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'll, I swear, yeah. it's funny you say that because I feel like I've seen it somewhere too. Yeah, it's... um. I guess it's like a stock image, so yeah. But I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, not at all. Um, you know. A good image is a good yeah. image. It doesn't have to be yeah, completely exactly. original, and and it and it it really is only there to to support and, um, I guess ultimately promote the music on the album. So if it does it, it does it. Who cares where it came from, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read a lot about you guys, uh, of course, and. You know, I, I did, I kind of kept seeing mentions of live performing and, you know, in, in this, in this scene, in this, in, in the type of music that you've done and the music that I like, um, I've found that there's, there can be this like dichotomy. There's those that uh, maybe are afraid of, of playing live or the music doesn't translate live. And then there's some that, you know, they were live, like they're live first and then they, they record more secondarily. I'd like to know your feelings on on performing live versus recording. Yeah, I think with the Hermit Crabs, um, I think around about the time that I recorded in my flat, I think I really did had no desire whatsoever to play live anymore, mm-hmm. um, unless it was for like a particularly special gig, um, you know, like maybe. I mean, we played. I played at um, 
the New York City Pop Fest in 2018. Mm. Um, and Jeremy and Jake actually played as part of the Hermit Crab for that. You know, so that was pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played live for that. But yeah, I, I around that era, I just wanted to record as much as possible uh, and release stuff um, that I'd written. Um, but nowadays, I'm in another. I'm in a new band these days, and I I like a bit of both. Um, mm-hmm. I think at the start of this new band, we played a lot of gigs initially. Um, and then we went into the studio um, and recorded an album and we, we loved um, the result that we got with that. And probably, um, yeah, at the moment, the way I feel, I guess, um, I like a bit of both. I like a bit of playing live and a bit of recording. Um, but, you know, it's changing. It's ever changing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, for there... me, anyway, it is. No, I, I, I get that. I mean, it's it's probably some of that evolution of, you know, you as an artist, you as a person. I, I, would you mind sharing why you think that is? So why is it with maybe this project or this time in your life um, you enjoy the mix versus maybe, you know, coming off of in, in my flat where you were like, you know what, I, I, I'm really not into performing as much right now. Why do you think that happens? Um, I think that, um, this is making me think, I think in that era of In My Flat, um, where I wanted to record that album and release it, I think I was a bit fed up, a bit fed up of the hermit crab. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had this thought, like, I never want to be in a band ever again. (laughs) Everybody goes through that. Um, Yeah. I'm sure you can empathize with that one. Um, I really don't know, you know, what I, what I want to do with music, if anything at all. Um, However, um, I think sort of, I think it was just prior to lockdown. um, I started kind of, I don't know, learning a bit more on guitar. Um, I started writing again. Um, I started wanting, I wanted to buy a, an electric guitar. I never had a, an electric guitar before. Um, I started listening to like more music from like my punk hardcore kind of past. Um, also, I was getting into bands that were quite heavy kind of bands, um, as well as still listening to the lighter stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I suddenly got this thirst again to do music um, and yeah I formed a new band um, that's still going nowadays and it's, it's become this beautiful thing um, so yeah it's just funny how I don't know how, how things change um, to quote Neil Young he always said um, music is a journey and I totally believe in that you know it's ever changing it's ever evolving um but it's for me at least it's always something that's going to be with me in Mm -hmm. in whatever capacity that it is um so yeah i guess i got i got my first back to do stuff I, i think you know i think neil young hits it on the head with that one because you know there's no destination with 
with music and and i think because yeah. it's it's an art and it's ever evolving and it 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 takes influences from you know your personal life your your professional life your whatever you're going through particularly at that time whether it be a, a breakup or a marriage or you pick it and it makes its way in and then when you yeah. go to when you get that itch to scratch again later those influences that are going on at that period of time in your life then make their way in and i think that's at least that's why i think that's a pretty prophetic uh way to put it good job neil yeah <laughs> go team neil go neil yeah uh, we're gonna take another break here but on before we listen to this track i i believe i believe this was the the track that i read won an award uh we're gonna listen to feel good factor but um, it, did it did it win some songwriting award? Is that what I read? It did, yes. Um, there was a, a Scottish songwriting competition, um, and it was um, influenced by Robert Burns. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was one of the winning songs. There were fifteen songs selected in total, and it was one of the winning songs, and it was picked. Yes. And it became, if I remember correctly again, it became the first EP. Yes. Yeah. And then I the think, yeah, yeah. So, um, again, I, I, I listened to it quite a bit, uh, recently and, um, you know, I can, I can see why, again, I wasn't there. I don't know the other songs that I'm sure a lot of them were really, really good, but, um, I can see why it, it does rise above um just your average song and so you know rather than me explain too much about it or anything like that i think let's give it a listen so people can hear it and uh, just understand that this song won an award so you have to like it um it's called feel good factor and uh, again by the hermit crabs and off the album saw you dancing oh there's a feel good factor coming
so we just heard feel good factor by the hermit crabs uh again I'm, I'm so i'm so delighted here to have mel from the hermit crabs uh joining me today we're talking about the album we're talking about the evolution of the band uh we talked about neil young of all people which was uh which is always fun i love love little neil young talk um but we're kind of getting to the point in the interview where, where, where we're was really the i guess the nucleus for the idea uh, for me to reach out to Mel and she was so gracious to spend some time here today. Um, so Daydream Records, for those of you who aren't really familiar with, with what they're doing, uh, they're based in California. Uh, I believe the, uh, the main uh, person in, in that project, in that label, is Sergio. Uh, his last name is escaping me right now, but I guess that's not super important at this point. But um, very enthusiastic, big music fan. A uh, lot of similarities, at least with what I I like and I enjoy, and it and what he and his co-conspirators have done is they've launched a reissue label, where uh, and they're doing it right. I mean they're 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 doing the artwork right. Um, they're having just really really cool pressings done here, um, and and I've got every one of them so far uh, that that they've done. And so when I saw they were going to do the Hermit Crabs album, I said what a great time to talk to them. What a great time to talk to Mel, get a story of, of the album, how it came about. And, um, so that was really the impetus for this. So I guess what I'd like to know from you, if you wouldn't mind sharing is, uh, how that connection came about. Because from what I understand from what Sergio's put online, this album was one of the original albums that he wanted to put out and, and has been, uh, in the works for, I don't know. I think he's been doing this for, a year and a half, two years, maybe. So, how did that connection come about? Yeah, um, I I was checking back my Instagram messages just to see when it was he originally messaged me, but I think he uses a different account now, so um, I couldn't work out exactly when it was. But he messaged me on Instagram and said that he'd always loved for you dancing. Um, and he always felt like it should get the vinyl treatment mm -hmm. and that he would love to do a re-release of it on vinyl. So I was like, hell yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> What's not to like? Right. Um, yeah, and I believe there's 25 limited edition copies. I believe they've all been pre-ordered. Mm -hmm. um, and that's copies with like the colored vinyl um it's got like a kind of paint splatter kind of effect um it looks really cool mm -hmm. um yeah and they're hoping to put it out in kind of march april time next year um so yeah it's been it's been really great and it's kind of taken me back because i've had to kind of dig out that album and listen to it and um kind of think about the whole recording of it and think about all the different people, <laughs> different players that were on the album. Um, but yeah, it's just such a lovely thing for I, them to offer to do. I had a, I had a question on this and I took it off um, because, you know, I don't, I, I, I probably write 30 questions and I try to narrow it down, but I mean, what are your feelings about the fact that, you know, somebody just out from California, out of the blue, approaches you uh let me do the math here 15 is that right yeah 15 16 17 years after a release of an album and says 
hey, we know it came out digitally. That was really the era. But we want to commit to doing, uh, you know, a physical release of this. I mean, were you were you surprised that that I mean, this is going to this is not going to sound the way I mean it. But were you surprised that people still care that much about this album that you put so much work in 15, 16, 17 years later? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was surprised. Um, yeah, and, and and felt incredibly honoured and and privileged to to be asked about it. Um, yeah, I didn't think that it meant that much to people. So, yeah, genuine surprise. It again feeds into the Neil Young thing about <laughs> music being a journey because I I always think there's what I like is that. Um, when people ask you ask me to be involved in different musical projects or you know something something a bit different that's the thing that i always enjoy doing is like you know working with different people or um forming something new um so yeah this this all feeds into that analogy as well um and it's just it's just really great <laughs> yeah i think and i i think um artists don't artists don't really fully understand, you know, the impact that their work has. So, you know, your, your work to you means something. And obviously it's very important. You spend a lot of time and energy and, you know, a a big chunk of your life uh, creating this thing. And so then you, you know, you go through all that, you put it out for the world to hear. And we all know there's a lot of music out there that gets that same treatment. And then people, forget about and and I, I think like the fact that an album like this or, or the rocket ship album I spoke about earlier how you know that sticks with us as fans um, d- probably deeper than than you know the musician ever really thought would happen I mean I, and I'm sure that you know there's there's albums and there's artists like that for you that you know had if you're able to speak to the artist now you know, they're going to be like, really, you, you still care about that? And you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I when my first baby was born, that music was playing or, you know, when when, you know, we open up Christmas gifts every Christmas day, we listen to that album. It becomes part of their lives. It's like the soundtrack mm-hmm. of their lives. I hate that analogy, but that's really what it becomes. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's special. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you say, yeah. I will never know because I'm I'm too close to it. So, mm-hmm. and and often when I record something after going through the whole recording, mixing, mastering process, you're kind of sick of hearing those songs yes. for a while. You're yes. like, right, it's done. I'm just gonna put it out there. I'm gonna have some space away from it. Um, I don't want to listen to it. I just want to work on new stuff. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's just really special that it that it means stuff for the people um yeah in fact i've got there's one album that's really super important for me um and it's by a a band called pogo who are from florida um and they're sort of like they're kind of like emo punk kind of um sort of music um but i think they put a thing on facebook recently saying it was 25 years or, or 20 years since the release of of one of their albums called In Memory of Bab 
and that album is just like outstanding to me it just um means so much to me it would be one of my desert island discs <laughs> um i remember i went through a really bad breakup and the guy that broke up with me actually gave me a mixtape with this album on um and it did and it seemed to like speak to me about how i was feeling at the time um so yeah and I, I put a little message on facebook to them saying this is my favorite album of all time <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, they replied back saying well thank you that's lovely and uh, and then i was like oh my god they replied to me on facebook <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they're super down to earth, like super nice people. But um, yeah, it's it's funny how yeah your own music maybe doesn't mean that much to you sometimes, but mm-hmm. um, other people's music does. <laughs> yep, that's that's I think kind of what I was getting at, and and you know everybody has everybody has that any any mu- music fan, and happens I guess it happens to even be a musician, but more so if, if you're a music fan, there's certain albums that. You know, you, you kind of hold as your own. And, you know, there, there's that, I get this from my family a lot, that, oh, yeah, you know, you, you really, really like it. And then when other people start to like it, you you don't anymore. And I said, that's not really how it is. And <laughs> I said, really, what it is, is you you evolve as the music evolves. So, like, for me, um, you know, one of my favorite albums of all time was The Nationals Boxer. And when I listen, I listened to it, this, someone texted me over the last couple of days and goes, I'm just getting back in the national. I love it. And so I started listening to Boxer again. And I remembered why I don't listen to it as much anymore. I think for me, it was at a time when I, I guess I was I was going through kind of that mid 30s. I was growing up, um, you know, I had young children and it was it just was a very intense time for me. And so. I kind of keep it there, but I don't necessarily listen to it all the time. But when I pull it out, I go, yeah, you know what? I remember why this is my, one of my favorite albums, but I can't listen to it every day. I think maybe because it's just got that deep emotional feel to it. Doesn't mean I don't like it anymore. Doesn't mean that because others yeah. have discovered the national that I don't like it. It's just that maybe mm-hmm. I've moved on, but I still keep it as something that's important to me. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I think I have similar kind of albums um funny funny you should say that because one of my friends was listening to the national recently um <laughs> we actually we took a, a car journey from glasgow to aberdeen it takes about two and a half hours and he was like have you heard of the national and i was like no and and he put them on and i was like oh wow they they sound really good and he was sort of like you've not heard of them how did you not have heard of them um yeah, so and I yeah, it was really great music actually, and a, a nice drive that we had, a nice scenic drive that we had up north in Scotland, along with the national playing the soundtrack to it. Was that recent? You said. Yeah, yeah recently. Um, <laughs> it was the the end of November. Wow! Wow! End of November. Yeah. Wow! Yeah. I had heard of them. Thinking back, I had heard of them, but I, I don't think I'd actively listened to them. If you see what I mean. Yeah, I think I think to their detriment, uh, not not now, uh, because I think they've kind of reached like international rock star status. But you know, when they were when they were coming up, and they were really kind of, and they probably admit this. I will never probably get them on the show, so I don't have to worry about it. But 
um, they probably, well, the name, I think, worked against them. So the name was just this nebulous, like, wh what is this? Like, is I mean, is this an art installation? Is it a political party? Is it a Canadian news yeah. show? I mean, like, what is it? So I think that worked against them. Um, but then every most people that I've you know shared something like that with, and I've said, hey, you gotta you gotta hear the national. The first thing they say is that guy's voice. Like, why is it so deep? And yeah. then I know when I hear that, I'm like, you know what? They're not gonna really connect with it. But then other people will say, wow, his lyrics are just so so good. And and so you know yeah. the 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 <laughs> when 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 Aaron from the national did that album i think he produced and recorded that taylor swift album during the pandemic to me it was like oh. yeah i mean he produced i think it was folklore and evermore and you know justin from bonnie Vare was was on there as well it was like all my all my favorites were coming together and and people finally were starting to hear about oh wait who's this guy wait who's the national and then all of a sudden there's a new national fan so um yeah, I, I'm just I'm kind of shocked that you really hadn't heard much of them until recently. <laughs> yes, um, it's funny though. A lot of my friends expect me to be this have this kind of I don't know encyclopedic musical knowledge, yeah. but um, about bands and things. But I I really don't, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I'm I'm terrible for remembering the names of bands and the names of songs and the names of albums as well. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and they're like, how can you not know this? You play in a band. And I'm like, just because I play in a band doesn't mean I know everything about other bands. <laughs> <laughs> what a funny assumption. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, we're kind of coming to the end here and, and this has just been a great conversation. I love, I love the, uh, the offshoots we've had as far as conversations go. They've been really, really good. Um, I like to ask this question yeah. of, um, of, of just about every artist I talk to. Um, and, and, you know, it's very easy to say nothing to the answer to this question, but I think, I think there's always something. So I'm going to ask you, you know, during that era of writing, recording, releasing, uh, saw you dancing, is there anything maybe that you would have done differently and, and not necessarily just with, yeah, I wish the bass was louder or I wish we'd included the song, but anything in terms of, you know, the, the, I think you know what I'm talking about. Is there anything maybe that you would have done just differently looking back on it, having that, that, that benefit of hindsight? I think, um, I think three Three of the songs on the album were recorded at a studio in Glasgow. Um, that studio doesn't exist anymore. Um, and the rest of the songs were recorded at Split Level Studios in Edinburgh with Neil McNaught. Mm -hmm. And I wish I'd recorded all the songs there. Like, I I just feel like uh, we did get like a, a consistent, cohesive sound overall with the album. However, I just feel that those songs we recorded at the studio in Glasgow, uh, I was going to say they don't make the mark. Uh, they do, but um, yeah, I, I just wish I'd, I'd done it all in Edinburgh. Um, maybe you could I, captured, I had problems. Yeah, yeah, maybe captured more of the magic. Maybe I had problems getting the masters 
as well from the, the studio in Glasgow. Like I had to virtually, physically stalk them mm. to to go and get the master files, um, to then be able to master everything. Mm-hmm. So that was just stress I didn't need. Um, mm. So yeah, I think I would have done it all in the same place. Um, well, as a fan, uh, I, I don't notice that. So. Uh, you know, and I know as the artist, I mean, you, you know, every minute detail, but to me, I mean, it, it, and I've listened to the album many, many times and it's, 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 it's cohesive to me, but, um, I'm sure there's little nuances. And like I said, the magic sometimes that, you know, you just say, maybe it's, it's just somewhat lacking or just misses the mark on these couple tracks. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I think with my vocals as well, I think like, Neil at, at split level used to push me a little bit more, whereas I didn't get that push at the studio in Glasgow. So maybe, perhaps, mm-hmm. there could mm-hmm. have been it. But like you say, if you don't notice it, then that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't at all. No, it, to me, it's very cohesive. It's it's it, it's a it's a it's a nice album. The way it's it's, and even the uh, the sequencing, which I think is you know the, uh, an average fan doesn't understand what that means, but. Um, you know, the, the, for those of you listening who don't know what that means, um, it's basically the song order and, um, those, you know, an artist who, <laughs> I feel like I'm having a uh, Wikipedia moment here, but, um, when an artist records, you know, 10, 15, 20 tracks, they have to determine or rights, then they have to determine what they're going to record. And then there's this, you know, just this limitation in terms of physical media or whatever so now we have to get it down to you know 9 10 11 depending on song length and then the work begins and 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 artists put a lot of time into determining you know the the sequence and the order of songs what what starts it what finishes it to me the second song on an album is very very important so there's a lot of there's a lot of work that goes into it and i i think it's sequenced really really well very cohesive uh i always know it's sequenced well when I listen to an album start to finish, if I'm driving or whatever, and I'm not paying attention, and the last song happens, and then it restarts to the first song, and I go, wait a minute, that was the end? Then I know it was sequenced well. And I, and I, and I can't explain why um, it's like that, yeah. but that for me is something I've found. And when I can tell that an album is over, um, and then it goes back to the first song, I, I think like... I don't know. I just, I guess I like the sequencing better when it's almost like if it were on a loop, I wouldn't know where the beginning or the end was. Uh, yeah, I'm just <laughs> looking take. at this track listing actually, just to see. Yeah, this, yeah, the sequencing is pretty good. Yeah. I love it. I love agree it. with you. <laughs> yeah, you did a great job. I can't remember the exact process in deciding <laughs> that, but um, <laughs> yeah. That's looks okay. Good, looks good to me. <laughs> no, it, it, it's really good from a fan perspective. Uh, so we're, we're again, I'm here with Mel from the Hermit Crabs. We're talking about Saw You Dancing. Uh, again, the reason for our conversation was that I saw that uh, Daydream Records here in the U.S. is doing a vinyl reissue of the album. And so I reached out to Mel. She's been super, super kind in, in doing this. And um, this has been a really, for me, a very enjoyable conversation about yourself, the band, the album. And um, I just, you know, it's been really good. So... Uh, I guess the, my last question for you uh, before we hear uh, one more track from the album is uh, you'd mentioned that you're working on some other some other projects right now. And I just want to give you a chance to maybe talk about those and and kind of what those mean to you and what you're doing with them. 
Yeah, so I'm in a new band and we are called Count Florida. Um, we play kind of heavier songs than the Hermit Crabs. Um, I've got an electric guitar, I've got a distortion pedal. Um, we were a three-piece, but we recently welcomed Hannah on board as our lead guitarist. So we're now a four-piece. Nice. Um, Isabel uh, plays bass. She used to be in the Hermit Crabs. And Scott plays drums. And he used to be in the Hermit Crabs. And yeah, I write songs to the Scott. Isabel co-writes songs. Um, we've recorded an album called Choose Your Own. And it's available on Bandcamp. Um, and we've been given some money by Creative Scotland to record our second album in 2023. Right. So we're very much looking forward to doing that. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, just, just super enjoyable to be playing and recording again. So this is a theme that comes up and I'm, I'm going to kind of wrap up things on this because it, it comes up every time I talk to somebody and it, you just said it again. Uh, you know, we're, we, we all have lives and you know, we don't, we don't do this for the money. Like I don't, I don't, I don't do this for the money. You, I'm guessing you don't play music for the money. Um, and really what it kind of keeps coming down to for a lot of us and particularly on the music side not not the podcast side but on the music side it comes down to something that um one of my previous interviewees said and uh, his name's chip porter uh he ran audrey's diary uh record label here i think he released like black tambourine and the bomb pops and just a lot of cool stuff but he said that really what it comes down to is you know during this journey of music you know you're you're playing in different bands and you're you've got different lineups and all that and and now you've got your new project but what it always kind of comes back to is making music with your friends that's really what it is i mean you know it, there's a creative side to it and everything but being able to hang with them have a reason to be together create something out of nothing i think that's what a lot of us kind of keep coming back to it because of and um yeah. and I, it sounds like that's the same agree. case with you yes um i mean i reconnected with scott and isabel and you know i hadn't really spoken to them for god i don't know maybe 20 years or something wow. um and it's been so nice to reconnect and hang out and and like through COVID and, and when lockdown lifted a little bit and we could practice, um, you know, those practice sessions were really important to us. They, in a way, they were like group therapy. Yep. Um, so it, it's just been, I suppose it's a very fortuitous thing, but it's just been lovely. Um, such an amazing experience. Um, and and just feels so right. And amazing how we've mellowed out over the years you know oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe we not as hung up about things as we used to be um so yeah it's, it's just been a lovely thing this, this just happens so organically so naturally as well yeah it, it 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 seems to always ring true almost every time and uh, i can definitely see that here so um, Mel, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Really, I've I've truly enjoyed the whole thing, and 
I love the fact that you made a Venn diagram of, of the musicians on the album and um, got to reflect <laughs> on it. And I, I, I know I'm speaking for, I'm sure many others that were really looking forward to the reissue of saw you dancing on daydream uh, in 2023. So again, thank you for joining me and um, I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for asking me, Brian. I've really enjoyed it as well. Um, it's, Given me a trip down memory lane, but it's been really enriching <laughs> in the yeah, process. I'm glad. I'm glad you, you enjoyed it as much as as much as I did. <laughs> All right, thank you again. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Vinyl Detroit Podcast. First, I wanted to thank Mel 
from the Hermit Crabs for joining me on this episode, where we discussed her band's 2007 excellent release, Saw You Dancing. I also want to thank Sergio from Daydream Records for putting out this record. He really did a wonderful job from the vinyl to the sleeve. Everything sounds wonderful. It really is something that everybody should own. If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to some of my previous shows where I talked to just some wonderful musicians, excellent label heads, artists, just all kinds of people affiliated with our music scene. Before we close out this episode, though, we're going to hear one more track from the Hermit Crab's 2007 release, Saw You Dancing. And this song is called Friends Folk Festival. And once again, thank you for listening. I don't want to go out tonight to a Friends Folk Festival in my hometown. You're going to have to. You're going to have to. I wish that others knew